What's up, everybody, and welcome to Lights, Camera, Exploitation, your guide to exploitive cinema. This is your host with the motherfucking most, TJ Bowser, and joining me today is my doppelganger, Kangabanger from Down Under, Mr. Brody Kane. Howdy, howdy, my mother lickers. And Mr. Slick Nick with the big woo, Reese. Hola, y'all. Today is April 2nd, 2021, and we got a doozy of an episode for you today. But first, it's time for your slice of life. Brody, how was your day? Yeah, so far, it's uh, it's not been not too bad, actually. Um, It's very early in the morning here, obviously. Um, This week, uh, it's been flat out at work. Um, I received my Edge of the Axe Blu-ray from Arrow, so I'm yet to still watch that bad boy. Uh, Also received Jeepers Creepers from 88 Films uh, in the mail, and I started uh, to watch that last night, Um, and it looks really Really is that from movies. 88 or is that from Shout Factory? Uh, no, it's actually 88 films. Oh, it is? Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and I also ordered a Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3 Dream Warriors day bill. Mm. So I can't wait to receive that oh, yeah. bad boy and frame the absolute shit out of it. But other than that, yeah, as I said, uh, pretty chillax down this way this week. Um, Nick, what about yourself, mate? What have you been up to? Mm, bit of the same. Um, mostly just been... Just been working, relaxing afterwards as much as I can. Uh, started watching that new Amazon Prime uh, show for Invincible, uh, the Image Comics thing. Uh, so I've gotten into that a little bit. Going to watch, check out the uh, new episode tonight, actually, after we finish recording. And that's pretty much about it. Going to go see uh, Kong versus Godzilla tomorrow. I uh, rented out a theater for that one. So uh, me and the other guys from Beetle Bros, some of our friends are going to go watch that together. So that should be fun. But uh, yeah, that's about it, really. That and the new, new Falcon Winter Soldier episode tonight. Just been watching stuff. <laughs> so what about you, TJ? thought you weren't going to ask. So as I say every week, I did podcasts here, podcasts there, podcasts everywhere. But more importantly, that fatality's out, isn't it, Brody? That is correct. We have audio uh, and video. Yes. yes. And uh, we are sorry for the Snyder cut of that uh, video. We uh, had to break it up into two episodes. So um, head over to Project Louder and suss out MK Fatality. We hope you enjoy it. Fucking A. I Hell yeah. did a little bit of blu-ray shopping gonna be doing a little bit more i'm not gonna say anything until it arrives vinegar syndrome announced a bunch of new titles coming and i'm excited for that especially the homegrown horrors box set that they announced definitely going to be picking that up excited for today's episode uh for you guys who don't know this movie is actually the movie that inspired the artwork for Lights, Camera, Exploitation, and the Clown Man bashing up the car. Yeah. It's actually, uh, we saw a promo shot from the original advertising of this film. Well, this week's film, which is 1979's Mad Max. Yeah, we saw this like really cool promotional shot of this biker dude uh, smashing up this car and i was like man it'd be cool if we had our own little version of that it led to Corey working on art for, for us and it would just it turned out really really well and uh yeah i'm excited to talk about this movie and uh this week's movie is 1979's mad max directed by george miller mad max is the only law in a future world gone mad they killed his partner attacked his wife and child now it's his turn, and Max is mad. Mad Max, the maximum force of the future, rated R. Who also did The Road Warrior in 1981, Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome in 1985, Babe, Pig in the City in 1998, 
and then Mad Max Fury Road in 2015. Brody, what's with the the pig movies? I really don't know, and I didn't even realize that he directed these films uh, until I was a lot older. So basically, one extreme to the other. I reckon it's due to the fact that he ended up having kids, and he that was sort of a turning point for him. Yes. Um, and we'll talk yeah, a little bit more yeah. about that. Uh, the film was written by James. How do you say that last name, Brody? Coslin. Uh, Coslin and Brian Kennedy, and of course George Miller. So George Miller would also write but not direct Babe from 1995, Happy Feet 1 and 2, and then I guess he's working on a new Mad Max film called The Wasteland, which is to be announced. Brody, have you heard anything about that? I've basically heard that it uh, evolves around more so uh, Furiosa, um, and it could be titled Furiosa um, at this stage. I'm not entirely sure. All I know is that and that Chris Hemsworth is going to be a part of that film, so... Oh, that's awesome. That's about it so far. Okay. So producers, Byron Kennedy and Bill Miller. Cinematographer, David Egby, who also did Warlock in 1989. Quigley Down Under in 1990. Pitch Black in 2000. And Eurotrip in 2004. Muscuzzi. Muscuzzi. <laughs> Long tunnel. <laughs> Music by Brian May. Not who you're thinking of who did The Road Warrior in 1981, Turkey Shoot in 1982, Freddy's Dead in 1991, and Dr. Giggles in 1992. This film had a budget of $350,000 USD. Oh, that's the equivalent. I don't know what that would be in Australian back then. I think I saw it was about 400K at the time. Okay. Starring Mel Gibson as Max. You may know him from Lethal Weapon in 1987, Braveheart in 1995, or the M. Night Shyamalan film Signs in 2002. Joanne Samuel as Jessie. She was also in Allison's Birthday in 1981, The Wiggles Movie in 1997, one of Brody's favorites, and Smoke Between Trees in 2019. Hot potato, hot potato. (laughs) Fruit salad. Hugh Keed Burn. Burn. Yep. As Toe Cutter. He was in Stone in 1974, Moby Dick in 1998, and Mad Max, Fury Road in 2015. Steve Bisley as Jim Goose, also starred in Summer City in 1977, Fast Talking in 1984, and Boar in 2017, which is the inferior version of Razorback. (laughs) Tim Burns as Johnny the Boy, as seen in Patrol Boy in 1979, The Chain Reaction in 1980, and Monkey Grip in 1982. Roger Ward as Fifi is from the other Ozploitation film, The Man from Hong Kong in 1975. Hopefully we cover that in future episode turkey shoot in 1982 and quigley down under in 1990 lisa aldenhoven as nurse who starred in cop show from 1977 till 1978 the young doctors from 1979 and 1980 and brilliant lies in 1996 david brax as mudguts who starred in the chain reaction in 1980 the coca-cola kid in 1985 and crocodile dundee in 1986 brody take it away in a not too distant dystopian future when man most precious resource oil has been depleted and the world plunged into war for mean and financial chaos. The last vestige of the law in Australia attempt to restrain a vicious biker gang, Max, an officer with the main force patrol, launches a personal vendetta against the gang when his wife and son are hunted down and murdered, leaving him with nothing but the instincts for survival and retribution. Fucking A. So this movie won a couple of awards and was nominated for a few as well. So in 1979, the Australian Film Institute 
gave it the award for best original music score, best achievement in sound, best achievement in editing, and it won an award for its stunt work. It was nominated for best film, best director, best actor in a supporting role for actor Hugh Keyes Byrne, and best original screenplay. And at the Avoriez Fantastic Film Festival in 1980, it won the special jury award. So, boys, you know what time it is, Brody? Let's get physical. Okay, boys and girls, so we got a relatively new release for you today, and that is one from Kino Lorber from November 24th, 2020, and this is a 4K release. Disc one is an HDR Dolby Vision audio, and it features an audio commentary with art director John Dowdig, cinematographer David Egby, and special effects artist Chris Murray, moderated by filmmaker Tim Ridge, an Australian 5.1 surround and a 2.0 looseless mono, a US English dubbed in 2.0 looseless mono, dual layer UHD 100 disc and an optional English subtitle. Disc 2 features Road Rage, new interview with director George Miller, interviews with star Mel Gibson, Joanne Samuel and cinematographer David Egby, audio commentary with art director John Downdig. Am I saying that right? Doubting. Cinematographer David Egby, special effects artist Chris Murray, moderated by filmmaker Tim Ridge. Mel Gibson, birth of a superstar. Mad Max, the film phenomenon. Theatrical trailers, TV spots, trailers from hell with Josh Olsen, radio spots, Australian 5.1 surround, English dubbed and original English subtitles. Boys? In a QA and a interview with the Oxford Union on YouTube, George is asked what was his transition from being a doctor to a full-time director. He states that it was a slow process to dissolve. I was interested in film. I wanted to be a doctor from eight years old, but when I was in university, it was a time where you would feel free to roam on campus, to which I ended up going to drama lectures. So in a way, I was basically self-taught with filmmaking, I guess, and I created a short film that won me a prize to meet people in the film workshop, who subsequently became important to the Australian film industry. On the documentary... The Madness of Max. The idea for Mad Max was inspired by a real-life radio journalist who would go around following the police to car accidents and interviewing people about these car accidents. George states, It somehow resonated with me because I remember the feeling of working in casualty at the hospital and being quite disturbed by the violence and road carnage the way we accepted it. So I thought that what if it had happened to you and so Mad Max started off as a journalist in Melbourne who was dead desensitized as a journo in a way that did not work so i made him as a cop someone who attends the violence after these events and then to see what happens when that same thing happens to his own family i wrote the script and after nine months of writing i didn't believe that it would be happening in the contemporary world let's exaggerate and set it in the future then that way all the hyperbolic sort of storytelling would mean more likely to work especially because we didn't like the melbourne police cars in uniform but if we make it slightly degraded in a post-apocalyptic world to the extent of our budget we could get cooler cars and uniforms to do more extremely hyperbolic things for that world they took the star wars approach mm. pretty much yes and a not it's a clever so, way of yeah. actually doing it it's awesome it, it definitely adds for a cool looking uh setting definitely the filth adds to adds to the film Mm -hmm. the grime oh yes oh yeah in an interview with the american film institute director george miller states that after my short film producer byron kennedy and i decided to make a feature film now i thought 
if you really prepared, you could. <laughs> I stroked out there. I'm very sorry about that. Now, I thought if you really prepared, you could film that the film would automatically follow. But however, I was in for a big surprise because it just did not go anywhere where I needed it to go and described it like walking a big dog. You want it to go one way, but it wanted to go the other way and it was bewildering to me. Then the best and the worst things happened. We ran out of money in the post-production, so Byron cut the sound and I cut the picture. It ended up being a great lesson because I thought, gee, I should have done this, I should have done that, and luckily when the film came together, it did work. Suddenly it was getting shown in Japan, France, and all around the world and people saw something in it. I believe it was tapping into some archetype which we were completely unaware of at the time. On the Shout Factory release of Mad Max, Mel Gibson discusses on getting the role of Max. Gibson states, I dropped a friend off, Steve Bisley, who plays Goose in the film, because he had been called in for an audition. So I dropped him off and waited for him in the casting agency room. Earlier that week, I'd gotten into a brawl and I didn't come out looking pretty. I sort of took on half a rugby team and it didn't work out too well for me. They took Polaroid took Polaroids of me uh, because I was like every color of the rainbow. So they put them up and they said, hey, mate, we need freaks in this film. So when you heal up, come back and see us. However, I did go back and said to them that the photos on the wall were me. They sent me in and I spoke to George and he gave me the part right then and there. It was really weird. <laughs> For the, yeah, that's that was probably the start of crazy Mel. I, I can see that happening. <laughs> taking yeah. on a rugby team yeah i read it was a uh, a bar fight the night before actually <laughs> oh true yeah for the idea of the famous black ford interceptor it was based on a childhood fantasy car that producer byron kennedy wanted as a kid miller states on the madness of max documentary that byron can byron kennedy was very influential of the vehicle uh, that it was something that he had put a lot of work into i remember seeing him pointing to a car in the street and saying that he was going to do things to it for the film. And then one day he drove up to me in it with a raging blower hanging out of the front bonnet. And I thought it looked amazing. And I remember shooting the underground car park scene at the Melbourne University where we have those lovely arch pillars. And when they turned over the engine, the sound of it echoing off the concrete was a fantastic sound. When the car was parked on the street in Melbourne one day, these two little old ladies walked across the road admiring and stroking the car, which gave us incredible courage that if this vehicle could impress two old women, then we might be onto something iconic here. For our listeners out there, if you want to know what sort of car that is, it is a 1973 XB GT Falcon. One of the crazy things that happened on set was the fact that the whole entire crew stopped on many freeways to film multiple scenes without police permission. (laughs) George, George Miller proceeded to film the scenes by telling one of his crew members to just stop traffic on one of the busiest highways in Victoria. They proceeded to place traffic cones and narrow the lanes down to one with a person holding a stop sign at the end. Everyone on set could see the many cars piling up at each end, not to mention numerous cars skidding from hitting into other cars. Don't you yeah. love not getting those permits? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing bad has Try ever happened. Now, George. <laughs> no. Try doing that now, George. All the best. (laughs) Mel Gibson on George Miller's directing of photography shots. I was watching this whole thing intrigued at the process because I didn't know what it was and I was really kind of like almost appalled and impressed at the same time. I would look at George and say, how can that work? 
And he says, don't worry, it'll work in the edit. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Because I also remembered George and the cameraman having nothing but slugfest right in front of everyone about the camera. And I said, George, you can't do that, mate. He replied by saying, I don't care. I'm going to do it. Then the cameraman also said not to do it. But with a quick snap back, George said, I don't give a shit. I'm going to do it either way. So then I was more for George after that. And I was like, you know what, George, do it. Go on, George, just just do it. Because he was breaking rules, which was good. And it worked. Obviously, seeing the film after it had come out, we knew there and then that he knew what he was doing in the end. He definitely did. Because um, it, it turned out really well, uh, I think, for a lot of those decisions that he made. Uh, I, f- I found a few things uh, as well in my time researching this. Uh, yeah. One of the few things I learned. So, so Mad Max uh, actually grew over 100 million US dollars worldwide uh, by about at least by 1991 but I believe originally by 81 I think was about the time it had already reached that on its original budget of about 350,000 which actually made it uh, the most profitable film of all time uh, which it actually held uh, in the Guinness Book of World Records for 20 years uh, and until it was beaten out by the original Blair Witch Project uh, in 1999 adjusted for inflation did a little bit of math um, Mad Max cost about 1.2 million to make in today's million? money million dollars million and would have grossed 362 million in today's money as well which is an insane thing to think about <laughs> it made bad. over 300 times its budget in profit um, bad at all. which is just ridiculous uh some other things i found out the character of jesse uh was actually originally intended to be played by actor rosie bailey who was also in the young doctors cop shop and a country practice a lot of the actors worked on uh, cop shop and the young doctors and everything right before this i found uh but while on route to the set one day with one of the stuntmen grant page their car actually got into an accident that injured both of them page suffered one broken leg but was able to return a few weeks later uh and continue working on it so he did still do stunt film however unfortunately uh bailey shattered like both of her legs and was replaced by joanne samuel uh at the last minute um that's one of the things learned uh though it's considered one of mel gibson's most iconic roles uh i would say at least i mean you know you think mel gibson you think braveheart mad max you know uh he only earned about fifteen thousand dollars uh for his role on this one considering that he was picked uh, for showing up for dropping his roommate off to his audition. Uh, however, it was not the lowest amount that he'd earned uh, because he only got $400 uh, for his role in Summer City uh, that Steve Bisley was also in as well beforehand. Um, the original release of Mad Max, while it did gross that $100 million worldwide, it actually didn't really take hold in the U.S. initially. Uh, it only made about eight million of that hundred million in the U.S., and this was actually attributed to the original release. Um, the distributor kind of dropped it, didn't think that uh, an Australian movie would actually do too well in America because they figured that everyone's accents were too thick and they wouldn't understand the slang. So they redubbed the entire movie with American voice actors, completely removing any Australian slang and uh, accents. And I went and watched a few clips, and it's terrible. <laughs> it's bad. The it's actors something that would like TJ to actually uh, um, do like his own commentary for Mad Max. 
<laughs> I can you could pull it off, mate. I reckon I'm gonna be something special. Fucking right, it would be. It, it just man, they were phoning it in on those redubs. It doesn't it doesn't match at all. It's it's just like they're they sound bored half the time, or like they were just really just trying to match the exact just like tone and words, but without any of the character to it. It just it didn't work out well. So I can see why it didn't make a, a, a lot of money. Uh, the original redub was actually the only release of the film that was cur- uh, commercially available in the United States until they released a special edition DVD uh, early about February in the year 2000. Uh, and even then, um, it was still kind of only a cult movie at the time. Some of the articles I found talking about the release were, God, they were three sentences long. And there was like, this is a thing that exists now. And that was it. And I was like, these are film critics getting paid. I think this is a Forbes article. There was an LA Times article. That was it. That was three <laughs> sentences long. I'm like, this is not an article. <laughs> I really hope you didn't get paid that much to do this. Um, so in addition uh, to the redubbing of the film, the marketing in the United States was actually altered to fear, uh, feature more of the basic action and car crash scenes and explosions. Didn't feature really any of Mel Gibson as Max, even though the movie's named after him, uh, because Mel Gibson was unknown in america at the time it was it was only his second film um summer city which again he made 400 bucks for was his only other movie before this um and then one thing that i thought was pretty nice and this actually kind of uh, plays into the uh not getting the permits uh for shutting down the roads as well in keeping with the vigilante theme of the film but but mostly just due to the low budget the crew hired a real biker gang called the vigilantes motor club or motorcycle club to perform in the film as extras for Toe Cutter's gang. Uh, And they were mainly paid, as were most of the extras, in beer because they couldn't pay them with actual money. Uh, And in fact, the scene where uh, Johnny and a few of the others uh, smash up the couple's car uh, and attack them. A lot of the um, the gang members that are smashing that car up uh, were the actual motorcycle club, uh, the vigilantes members. Mm. Uh, and in doing that, while also not having permits, apparently George Miller was giving out uh, like tickets, like vouchers um, <laughs> from the production company uh, that they referred to as get out of jail free cards. Because if if they got stopped by the cops, they were supposed to give them those vouchers and say we're making a movie. Uh, please don't arrest our biker gang extras. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so that was a uh, that was a few interesting tidbits of information I found for this film as well. Oh, I might just sorry, I might just add to that a little bit. Um, <clears throat> I forgot to mention it in the notes, but mm-hmm. they uh, they were quite in character uh, on and offset, um, and it made Mel Gibson very uncomfortable. There was even a time where uh, Mel went into uh, the editing suite with George to look at the rushes and that, and he said. I remember walking in and I would look to my right and it was just pitch black, but there was someone lying on the floor going, it's the bronze. Let's get the bronze. And then later that night and that, or for the rest of that week, he was receiving letters from the, um, the gang with blood, like that blood written letters. So they would pierce their finger, write letters to him in blood and give it to Mel just to creep him out even more. They, they really went over the top. Good God. (laughs) I also want to add that the mask that uh, Mel Gibson puts on in the movie, I kind of talked to Brody about this uh, pre-show, but uh, it's a Tor Johnson mask, which we see in another Australian production that we'll talk about later this season. Uh, dead kids oh, yeah. yeah that mask you see in a lot of films actually especially from this time frame i really didn't know what the fuck it was called and i did a little bit of research today but it, it gets used in two different scenes in this movie 
Uh, it's, it's strange how he kind of gets angry at the end and kind of just like tears at it, but it's latex. It's going to, yeah, it's just mm. going gonna, gonna to pull. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been actually cool if you had chucked the mask on to be this vigilante in the end. You'd like right. that, wouldn't you? <laughs> I, I would have been a nice time to dead kids. <laughs> so, boys, let's talk about it. Okay, so what was your favorite performance? You want to go first or should I, Brody? Um, yeah, no, I can, I can go first, mate. Um, well, I'm always a fan of the feeling in every film pretty much i just find them really intriguing um but for this like yeah max is great oh sorry mel's great as max but i i'd have to go with johnny the boy just because i fucking hated him so much in this film you know thank you and, and, it, and if an actor can do that and bring that to the screen and you know you know that he's done his job and as an amazing actor you know he stole the show for me between you know his violent nature, uh, and his food salad wordplay. If you if you want to call that, like it was just, you really want to know more about him. And and he's such an intriguing character. And it feels like you're how can I put it? You, you're turning in between two radio stations every time he talks. He just mumbles, carries on. But then we sort of sympathise for this character in the end. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think Johnny the boy for me would have to, he, he definitely stole the show. Yeah, it was definitely a good performance. Um, I think I'm going to have to go with Bisley as Goose. Uh, I think he may have replaced uh, Goose from Top Gun as my favorite wingman named Goose. Uh, <laughs> uh, I just really liked, I thought it was a really charismatic performance. Um, every time he was on screen, there were times where he outshined Mel as Max, I personally think. Um the the court dropping the case against Johnny and his just tirade and going after him and then um, just pretty much just everything up up until his death uh, I think he was probably just one of my favorite characters on screen to watch um, personally yeah I, I'm gonna have to go with Bisley what about you TJ I love Max <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's definitely some clear character uh, progression here and it's uh, it's pretty fucking gnarly his evolution to slowly see him going mad is just fucking cool Mm-hmm. Yeah. it's cool to watch him deal with it too like in talking to the uh to this chief mm-hmm. whenever he was quitting and he's like i'm becoming like them and i really really don't want to do that and he just it was unavoidable in the end regardless i do like fifi though roger ward is pretty fucking cool mm-hmm. well fifi <laughs> <laughs> what a fitting name for a staunch bloke yeah right right <laughs> <laughs> Fucking A. So favorite set piece, boys. Mm. You know, the Hall of Justice is fucking rad. The Hall of Justice is rad. Yeah, I did have that as my second, but I I don't know if this counts, but I'm just going to fucking say it. The the beautiful landscape of that came into Victoria. Um, I I didn't realize how much I missed it until I rewatched this film. Um, Actually, before I flew over here to Western Australia, I visited the final scene location of the film before I jumped on the plane. So... It was cool to drive up and out of that gully there and then board on a plane just to remember about that. But, I, yeah, I I just love that isolated landscape of hills and wide roads and it's just a perfect fitting for this film, like car chase sequences and, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I love it. Yeah. The Australian Outback always has to be mentioned whenever we're talking about Ozploitation films because a lot of them mm-hmm. really soak up the setting and utilize that in, in their footage. And it's this film accentuates everything that is the beautiful landscape. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't be the same without it. No. 
Um, I think for mine, I'd have to go with the uh, just the town, the uh, the town that the biker gang is terrorizing the entire time. I can't remember if they actually mentioned the name of it. I just I love it. It's dry. It's dusty. It the town feels like it's already dying as it should, considering, you know, the dystopian near post apocalyptic future. It said it has the apocalypse really already happened by this point. I think I know the war is like started by the first one, but. I know it really takes off in Road Warrior yep. afterwards. Yeah, so I just kind of like it. It's dying. The town's like on its last breath, basically. And I just I love watching them roll through and just terrorize this little town over and over again. Uh, the train station with uh, Knight Rider's coffin just hanging out on a little rocking chair on it. And just I love that whole town. All of it. Absolutely. That's Fucking amen. Mm-hmm. Favorite scene slash shot. Cool. Um, there are, I mean, there's so, so many iconic scenes in this film, but the, the whole opening scene of the film, um, you know, it's the police chase Knight Rider and leading up to his death, obviously, you know, it, uh, I think the actor who plays him gives it, uh, that he's just that psychotic cop killer and, and the cinematography of the low mids, um, between that and the close up vehicle shots are just fucking incredible. I, I still look, it like they still look better than any car chase, uh, scene in any movie. Uh, today and other than Mad Max Fury Road, you know, um, they, they really showcase the that badass Australian muscle cars of the 70s and that definitely gives me goosebumps every time I see it. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. It just feels like a if you were to put uh, heavy metal music over that opening scene, it's just a perfect fitting. It's just balls to the wall of like, mm-hmm. yeah, fucking violence and mayhem. And it definitely sets up the film. And it's a nice introduction to Max because he just shows you how slow, calm, collected he is. And when he has to come to play, he's going to fuck you up. Mm-hmm. I'm sure if you put heavy metal over it, it would seem like a scene from heavy metal. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I think my favorite is probably going to be Jesse getting chased by the biker gang through the woods on her little trip to the beach uh, shortly before uh, her and her and Sprague meet their end. Uh, It's just really intense. It's chaotic. It's actually scary. Like it's frightening for her to like to just get back and make it back to May and the, and Max and the others uh, to get out of there just for, you know, to think that they're safe just in time for the gang to just kill him anyway. Like it really feels like no matter what Max does in this, he can't stop this stuff from happening. No, no, Mm -hmm. no, things are not as uh, there's not enough law and order. To go around. Yep. Yeah, that's, that's what's going on here. So my favorite scene would have to be the opening, like like uh, like Brody said with his. I think it's just absolutely fucking fantastic, and it just sets the tone for the rest of the movie. It's it's wild. It is so fucking wild. And then my favorite shot easily is the shot of that black car that he uh, drives at the end uh, coming the out of the coming out of the garage. Uh, it's so badass. Yeah. It's kind of like uh, that quintessential uh, boot up montage. And that's like that's you know here he comes. He's coming to fuck you up. And that's the final shot. And it's just like he's pulling out and he's ready to go. It's mm-hmm. it's so fucking rad. And I love that the sound it makes that that, that vehicle makes whenever you know that wide oh, noise. It's like uh-huh. some supercharger, and that's what. Uh-huh. Yeah. Call that a death oh. wine because that's the last thing they hear before they <laughs> <laughs> explode into a fireball. I'm pretty sure uh, producer Byron Kennedy said that when they were designing the cars, they all had their own different sound. He wanted them to have, well, obviously you look at Mad Max's uh, black interceptor and it's got the uh, four pipes coming out the side of it and they give off a different tone of sound compared to the, the yellow and blue police interceptors when you uh, watch the film. If you really listen to the audio, he says that yeah, each one has their own different sound, and that's what they were aiming for. And like you said, Mr. Bowser, exactly right that um, 
that's all they hear before they die is that supercharger. Mm-hmm. Terrifying. Favorite effect slash death? Uh, Johnny the Boys, hands down. You know, that, that scene leading up to it is more of a, obviously a slow burn and a psychological uh, death. Yeah, you, like Max really wanted him to suffer and it feels really justified, especially uh, when we get that lovely shot of Max driving up out of the gully there. And yeah, Can I just, just say explosion. Can I just say that I've actually seen that in real life, but with a deer? The same the same death that happens to that that crazy that crazy dude with the with the semi truck that gets killed. Oh, toe cutter. <laughs> yeah. I <laughs> yeah, toe cutter getting yeah. flattened. I've seen that uh in real life at like six in the morning, driving to school one day. <laughs> Yeah, the deer turns to dust, and all that was left was the head. <laughs> so your day started off well. You're like, huh? Yeah, yeah. I was, nope. I was driving one direction, and it was in the semi truck was driving the other, and it was on the highway, and the deer dro- like jumped out, and I was like, oh, uh, and the other, and the truck was like, not like, oh, it was like, fuck it, we're just gonna keep going. Yeah, yeah. poof. Yeah, truck drivers down, you don't fuck around, so. Yeah, it clearly just fucking <laughs> obliterated anything that was left of Toe Cutter, and you just see a mangled corpse shoot out the back of that fucking thing, and yep. it is brutal as all hell. Oh, yeah. The old eye pop scene. Yeah. So awesome. Mm-hmm. I don't know who my favorite effect is, though. Nick? Um, I'm I'm going to have to say uh, Goose's death. Um, I know he didn't technically die right there old as Christy he got critter. burned. Yeah, because he ended up in the in the ICU before he died where, you know, getting Max's head swimming and everything because he sees his body and all that. But um, no, I really liked uh, just Goose's going out uh, that because it's set the stage for Johnny the boy's death as well. And just that vengeance kill of just using the the gas and the explosion to get him. Um, plus it, it just kind of also showed more of Johnny's character that he's more or less getting forced into this by toe cutter. Cause just how scary as fuck toe cutter is to even his own gang at this point. Um, yeah, I, I really liked the effect of, of it just all going up with, with goose still in there and everything. Um, I just thought it was a really intense death scene uh and i believe it was also the one that they had to fight uh for a couple years because the movie got banned in new zealand for goose's death for him getting burned to death uh and i believe it remained banned until 83 i think is what i saw um yeah anyone that's going to be crazy enough to get the movie censored i'm probably going to end up choosing that one it would have been cool for goose's character to come back as a villain in future uh, mad max films that would have been pretty dope looking like freddy yeah yeah, exactly. That'd be fucking sick. Okay, Ball from Mortal Kombat. Mm-hmm. I, you know, after watching this, I wonder if they took this scene and put it in the burning. If you watch the burning, there's a scene uh, where the hand, the burned hand pops out and touches the orderly and scares the shit out of him. And that's how you get introduced to Cropsy after he gets burned. Uh, that's right. I do remember that. Yeah. So I wonder if, and it's like a year after this movie. So like, I yeah. wonder, I wonder, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Can we put that in the impact section? <laughs> maybe, maybe. You know, I, I'll have to agree with Slick Nick and say Goose, his death is just fucking everything leading brutal. up to it is just brutal. It's it's tense. There's definitely some some tense shit going on there. Effect. I mean, I thought that that RV popping was pretty fucking sweet and that van getting obliterated was pretty fucking cool. Pretty sick. I mean, those effects and just having that entire like uh, that, that amount of control on set 
in order to pull those off is just outstanding. I mean, they won awards for the stunts here. So, I mean, yeah. Mm-hmm. Thoughts on story? Um, Yeah, I, overall, I love the story. You know, it means so much to me uh, growing up um, uh, with the film. Um, it, it, it definitely justifies the making of independent films uh, of – well, obviously making them on a shoestring budget. Similar to successful. our uh, last episode, it kind of started, kickstarted a movement and more films got made down there and, you know, kind of like, like our last film, mm-hmm. it kind of made everything, changed how things kind of went on. I mean, I'm kind of uh, around the same, no, a lot later on, almost 10 years later than the film we did last week. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it kind of kickstarted that, uh, what was it called? Australian New Wave Cinema, I think, is the movement. Exploitation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, like, um, it, it was uh, especially, you know, for that time of uh, cat and mouse car chases in Australian cinema, it was just such a big thing back then for the exploitation. Is is that, uh, is that, is, did this film kind of set that? I kind of feel there were a couple of films earlier that had these really gnarly car chase sequences and okay. this just sort of amped it up to like. Spinal tapped it. Fucking, yeah, pretty emotional. Yeah. yeah, pedal to the metal from the word go, mm. um, you know, and, and you put these iconic and lovable characters in that environment mm-hmm. and that's, uh, and, and what happens next is a powerful tool. Now, to why do you think that, that, that? Now, why do you think car culture is such a th- is such a thing in exploitation films? Is it a big thing down there? I believe, um, yes. Well, Australian muscle cars is it, and or any any type of like uh, V eight engine or anything is it's always been a big thing, or that I've grown up with. Mm-hmm. Let's just say, from my point of view, mm-hmm. I've always been into cars at a very young age, and it's mainly due to Mad Max and that. Um, I can't really say for the the seventies period, but they were bringing out some pretty uh, gnarly cars, like they brought out the Ford GT, and that was probably the quickest car in the world at the time mm-hmm. um in after after all these mad max films coming out um it really just showcases australia's love for vehicles especially v8 engines i don't know what it is about it i think i honestly believe that this film started that you know um you've got your fords you've got your holdens in here that are just batshit crazy and people love that shit down here I, and I honestly believe that this film started that sort of wave of. Now, is it the same with motorcycles? It's hard to explain because I don't, I don't really see many of uh, these like built-up Harleys or we. There's a, there's a lot getting around, and I'm pretty yeah. sure it's like that. Now, around I, I know in the Man with Hong Kong, uh, and what we say that was 1975. Yeah, uh, there's there's some pretty intense car chases in that as well. That's why I ask and. You know, I think even motorbikes are prevalent in that film. Yeah. So I, I believe that those early films started uh, the the car chase um, crave of Australia. And then this film come along and just showed you that you can create even better vehicles uh, that are batshit crazy and quick. Just just that really giving us that Australian Aussie muscle so- car, you know. Mm-hmm. Th- that's how us Australian films stand out is they have – this level of intensity with their stunts and their vehicles that no other cinema, no other genre can come close to. It, that's how they stood out in such a weird time and yeah, and film. Yeah, it was kind of their own little thing back then. Mm-hmm. I mean, you had other- Their niche. Well, obviously, mm-hmm. yeah, pretty much their niche. Like, well, you look at Upgrade, Lee Winnell's Upgrade. There's a car oh. chase scene uh, in that. Like, mm-hmm. nearly, Of course, that's a callback all, to all the other- Films that came before it. That's right. And even in Body Melt, you get that car chase sequence between yeah. the police and the old mate. So it, it's kind of un-Australian if you don't have a fucking car chase sequence. 
Is in there one in Dead Kids? To an extent. I don't think so. I honestly don't believe there is. Hmm. There was in Razorback. Fucking A. Yeah, another one. <laughs> and it's isolated desert highway. You know, it's just sort of a trope down this way. I, I assume. I think so. I think Mad Max definitely helped start that. I mean, you you talked to me like, okay, intense movie, driving, just vehicles and death. You are someone is either going to go Mad Max or Death Race. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, this is an interesting take on the the whole re- revenge thriller genre as a whole. I mean, it, it really wasn't done much, and especially to this level before. I mean, I mean, this guy gets put through a lot before he snaps. I mean, we see a lot different yeah. uh, storylines where it takes very little to make these people go off, especially in these vigilante films. I think this film, on, on uh, terms of story, just tells a much better story than other vigilante films, especially for the time. Yeah, I can definitely agree with that. Um I, if I circled back to what I mentioned earlier with uh, just the inevitability mm-hmm. of it all, like it just shows how far gone the world already is at this point that even though Max is trying his absolute damnedest to not just go as the, I think, he, what did he called it? Terminally psychotic uh, like everyone else. And he's trying his best. And, you know, he even leaves the force for it and everything. It, it just shows, you know, his partner gets burned alive and he has to go see his body and he decides to quit. You know, I'm just going to go on vacation, go live with my family. And they hunt him down. They take the last thing that he had away from him until finally he's just like, okay, fuck it. I guess I'll just take the car that they were going to give me. And it's on, it's on, screw it. You know, like the world's gone at this point. I don't care anymore. Like, and it just shows how far he just gets pushed for that. That's right. You know, you got Max doing the one thing that he's not meant to do as a cop. But like he decides to take out more people in the film than anyone after the death of his family, you know, and and, and you really see him evolve and become the monster in the end. But it leaves us to question our own morals in life, like with vengeance and all that. So it's a really unique take on that on that story structure, I think. Mm. I think it was fully justified as a guy who has the word revenge tattooed on him. I think that uh, it absolutely and 100% was justified in my mind. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like I said, it's it, it it definitely we can talk about impact and takeaways, but we kind of been talking about that as already with its impact this, on yeah. cinema and just yep. how, how it stands out amongst so many other films in a very similar genre. It's it defined Australian cinema, like we said. It's it's cool. And then the other yeah. two films that that came after, full three films now, it, they're they're fantastic, and they just literally just keep one upping each other. Mm-hmm. Beyond Thunderdome's a filthy not. movie. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. Yeah. I, I think they. Just- just they they get more iconic as time goes on um while i was actually watching this uh, i had a friend come in uh and kind of watch the end with me as well uh and you know even though it takes place in the outback and everything it's still there's still some green there's still a little bit of that civilization left because like i said I, th- I don't think it's full the apocalypse has already come and gone you know it's building up we're getting close it's that dying world uh but there's still a little bit a little bit of civilization left to it and I had a friend come in and he was watching it and um was like you know i remember this being hyped up is a lot more desert, like a lot more deserty, you know? And I'm like, that's, you're thinking of Road Warrior. Yeah. He's like, really like, you're thinking of Road Warrior. Cause he goes, is the apocalypse not happened yet? I'm like, no, 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 it's about to. Like, it's building. This is the, we're on the cusp. You know, like, penultimate. <laughs> yeah. He was like, oh, really? I'm like, yeah, no, if you're thinking the full on desert, there's nothing, not a drop of water for a hundred miles, you're thinking of two or three. Yeah. And we still so, got yeah, water they here. Just, they got more impactful, more, at least iconic, more memorable i think as time went on mm-hmm. with it and then uh fury road feels like a callback to that 
to just that idea, that feeling of the original Mad Max movies. Um, I think anyway, that's just personal opinion for me. But um, yeah, Brody, anything you want to add? Oh, no, not really. Oh, if I if I had to add something, it'd be that. Yeah. Mad Max 2 definitely is one of those rare sequels that uh, stands on its own two feet. You know, it could potentially be its own film if you don't like this film. Because um, uh, the basically, obviously, the start of the film sort of calls back to this film, but also can call back to its own little, well, can start its own little uh, new, new story in a sense if, if you really wanted to break it down. But that's for another time. That could be that could be another another season of LCD. You know? uh-huh. Yeah, the Road Warrior. Road, Road Warrior. Warrior. Welcome to the Thunderdome. That's its American Bitch. title release, isn't it? Yeah, mm-hmm. the Road Warrior. Are you Mad Max too? Is that what it, you got? Um, yeah, we're, we're we're both like I think it's even one title, the Mad Max Two, the Road Warrior. Okay. Yeah, Brody and I uh, on last week's episode of Gore and More, we we found out the the joys of names on films and how crazy they will change depending on release. Uh, we did yeah. we did Fulci Zombie, and that's probably one of the best examples for that. How there's three or four different titles for the same movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think we even addressed that too in um, The Possessed. Yeah, Donna Del Lago. Yep. And then rechanging it when it hit the UK. Yeah. Zombie flesh eaters. Uh, we didn't even mention <laughs> it. Like even the Burble the Crystal Plumage has uh, alternate titles. Oh, yeah, I did notice some of those as well yeah. when I was doing the research. Yeah. I don't even know if it has different cuts, but another time. Hmm. Another time. Yeah. <laughs> Let's rate this motherfucker. So it's uh, high octane car crashes down under out of five. Ooh. Um, I'm going to have to give it a 4.6. Okay. Slick Nick. All right. Um, This is this might seem a bit low, but I am going to give it a 3.6, I think, just because I truly love Road Warrior a little bit more. This set the stage for it. I love this movie, but yeah, I'm going to give it a three and a half. That is a lights camera exploitation score of 3.9 out of five for Mad Max. Not bad at all. Actually, that seems pretty reasonable. Yeah. Hmm. 3.9 high octane car crashes down under out of five. <laughs> Yo! Next week. <laughs> what do we got next week? Uh, I believe it is my final pick of the season. And what is that? Uh, and, my, and that would be Easy Rider. We're going to go with something a little bit different, but uh, somehow similar to this one. Uh, and that it is about a biker gang. We're I thought do some biker exploitation. I thought Lake Mungo was your last one. Was my? Did I switch it from Easy Rider to Lake Mungo? Or oh, I that thought, might have been me. I thought yeah, because I thought Brody switched his to Lake Mungo, so I kept mine as Easy Rider. Oh, yeah. yep, that is correct. okay. So, right. what is the rest of the season looking like for these guys? So, I changed mine from Lake Mungo to Dead Kids. I really wanted to talk about that on this show. Okay. So the, the okay. final two episodes will be Easy Rider next week, and then the American-Australian production Dead Kids, which I, I will mention uh, at the top of that show, which is uh, the film that kind of started Brody and I's friendship in that snowballed. Aww. Yeah. So that film's going to be <laughs> pretty fun to talk about. Don't cool. you have another episode yourself? Yeah, I was about to say, uh, we had 10 episodes for oh, this we one. Do have this 10. is seven. Yeah, you have another one. Oh, I have Dressed to Kill. Ah, yes. That was a, yes, Brian De Palma. Yes. We have 10, yeah. 10 episodes mm-hmm. in season one. So next week is Easy Rider, followed by Dressed to Kill, and then finishing off season one, which will be Dead Kids. Mm-hmm. That is correct. I don't know if we'll do Strange Invaders 
ever because of how hard it is to get. Yeah. Mm. I, I mean, like, if I really wanted to, I'd pay $150 dues for that bad boy off eBay. Yeah. But I'd say I just need to find a I need to find a thing and maybe make a copy of it. You mean 1983's? Actually, no, I can. You know what? We could we could probably watch it all together on, on Discord here. I'm about to say, it's, I have a capture it's on, card. It's on Pluto. Strange Invaders is? Strange Invaders from 1983? Yeah. Yeah, Pluto. Pluto's got it. If, if Brody can watch it in his region. Probably not. I don't get anything down here. <laughs> no VPNs? But, but, you know what doesn't have regions? And you know what can be listened to anywhere? Content from ProjectLouder.net! Yeah! Your source for- <laughs> Your source for pop culture and so much more. Home to many great podcasts, such as the Big Bad Beetle Bros podcast, which, Nick, you guys just dropped uh, your season finale with the Borg Slayer Part 1, huh? We did just drop our season finale, uh, so we are getting some stuff together. Uh, we are going to do a few recordings uh, before we take a little break ourselves so that uh, the fans won't have to take a break with us. <laughs> Metallics is upon you, though. Metallics is upon us, uh, and we did watch the first episode of Metallics, so that is already getting put together. Uh, like I said, we're going to... We're gonna Get a little backlog running. Uh, so we've still got content to put out while uh, we are kicking our feet back for a little bit because we have been nonstop on that for uh, almost two years now. <laughs> so yeah, it'll be nice to have a little break. But uh, the episodes will not stop coming out for those of you at home. Fucking A. Other podcasts, Bonehead Weekly, Box Office Banter, Comics and Kaijus, Brody's Fatality, Immortal Combat Retrospective, Ghoulies Unflushed, an official, unofficial Ghoulies podcast. Brody, uh, episode two of Fatality, which covers Mortal Kombat 3 and 4, is coming out next Wednesday, I believe. That is correct, Mr. Bowser. Okay. Gore and More. Uh, next week, we have what film? Hell House, LLC. That's oh. Yes. Jerk the oh, Curtain. Joints and Joysticks. Rabbit Hole. Rants from the Black Lodge. Somewhat Supernatural. The TJ Bowser Power Hour, which I need to upload some new content for. Two Guys on Friday. Wicked Wednesdays. And covering the worst years of wrestling. Wrestling Ruin. Find all of those over on ProjectLouder.net. And on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Audible, and anywhere else you consume audio only content also we have a youtube page head on over to youtube type in project louder you should be able to find us we also are on twitch instagram and twitter just search for project louder you can find me at lay host with lay most on most uh of the social media brody where can they find you you can find me on facebook instagram anywhere you like baby Ooh, slick neck. <laughs> same goes for me uh you can find me on facebook twitter instagram uh it won't take much searching. <laughs> Go to any of the Project Louder uh, pages on any of that stuff. You'll eventually find me. You will. <laughs> Absolutely. So, guys, thank you for joining us for another episode of Lights, Camera, Exploitation. This is your host with the motherfucking most signing off. This is your DKB signing out. And I thank you for listening to this week's episode, My Mother Lickers. <laughs> and this is Slicknick saying, I love all your faces. We will see you next week. From the wreckage, we 